great to see everybody today. Thank you all for being here. Let me, let me just say before we get too much farther into this that we've been talking a little bit about family this morning, about God's covenant family of faith. And it's such a, a joy to have Trevor here with us and to have uh, Valerie, you and Justin here and, and just everybody to have the children down here. What a, what a wonderful sign of a vibrant life or what vibrant signs of life in a church. It's so good to have the children here. It's so great to be uh, here with them in our midst. You know, this place has been home to so many people, to so many members of this larger family for generations. And it's a wonderful thing to celebrate. This year we're celebrating the 175th anniversary of First Presbyterian Church. And as part of that celebration, a child of this church, a daughter of this church, Maggie Amini, is going to be sharing with us a special concert tonight of her own original music in Westminster Hall. If you all do not know Maggie, Maggie is a member of our contemporary worship leadership team. She has been part of that team for several years, and you have heard her play in here as well as in the contemporary worship service. Well, Maggie is on the cusp of a professional music career in Christian music and worship leadership, and we are so excited to support her in, that, in this endeavor. But she is also generous enough that as she was thinking about launching her career before she is too famous and too far gone, she wanted to, to, to really settle the idea that this is her home, that this is her, is her church home and everything that that means to her. Her first album, as a matter of fact, is called Songs of Home. And that is what she's going to be sharing with us tonight. It's going to be a fantastic concert from six to eight in our Westminster Fellowship Hall. I hope you will plan on being here. And I hope that for two reasons. Number one, everybody wants to be able to say, oh, I knew her. I heard her before she was famous, right? That's something we all like to be able to say about any, about any big name recording artist or performer. We all want to be able to say, I knew them back when. So I want you to come for that reason so that you can say, I knew Maggie before she was famous. Number two, I want you to come tonight because this is probably the last time we're ever going to be able to afford her. <laughs> Once she really breaks open and breaks out, we aren't going to be able to have her back. So we are so glad that she's going to be here tonight and that she is offering this as a gift for us. And so, so I hope that you will be here tonight. It's going to be a wonderful opportunity for our family of faith to gather. And uh, we're, we're glad that you're going to be here for that. As we turn now to our scripture for today, I've, just, I've got to give a little bit of a, an opening thought. And that thought is that you all know me as your senior pastor, know that over the years, I, I, I'm not a particularly political preacher. I don't like to, to veer into that. I think that, that there is plenty of opportunity to hear people's political opinions and to hear those types of things in the media and, and other forums all the time. And we don't hear enough from the word of God. But every now and then there is a time when the events of the day and our scripture reading intersect so well that we, we have to acknowledge that perhaps God is speaking to us in this moment. And, and I feel like today we have, we have come across one of those passages. And so I wanted to, to share this as part of, of what I am saying today. And I come to this conclusion because several weeks ago on August 26th, 13 U.S. servicemen and women, Marines and a Navy corpsman, were killed by a suicide bomber, several, uh, by a couple of suicide bombers 
in Kabul, Afghanistan. They were there guarding the perimeter of the airport, and they, along with about 90 other uh, Afghanis, were, were killed in that, in that horrible, uh, that horrible violent act. You may also remember that on August 29th, the administration and our military leaders announced that they had conducted a drone strike against the plotters, the planners, and, and future terrorists who had been associated with that attack. They had killed ISIS-K terrorists through, uh, through the deployment of a Hellfire missile. They claimed that they had killed suicide bombers and those who were planning the attack. What we, had, what we discovered was that in that event, the administration was hasty to say that this was an example of our, our over-the-horizon capability to deal with terrorists around the world. This week, however, we discovered that the Pentagon had made a mistake. The pen, this week, the Pentagon reported that, as it turned out, that strike did not kill terrorists. Rather, it killed multiple civilians including aid workers and seven children. No terrorists. This week, we also have another reason to be worried about the issue of trust and credibility in our world. This week, the Biden administration announced plans for a mandate for vaccinations and declared that everyone should take the COVID-19 booster then, several days later, it was reported that the booster prescription was in open conflict with the Food and Drug Administration. Those two incidents, along with others, are symptomatic of, I think, what is at the root of a larger culture of mistrust in our country right now. Or rather, we lack a culture of trust right now because we get so many conflicting reports from our leaders. What are we to believe about the COVID vaccines and boosters? What should we believe about American citizens and allies still stranded in Afghanistan and military operations there? What are we supposed to believe right now? I mean, really, do you trust everything that you see on TV right now? Do you trust everything you read on the internet or in social media? Do you trust everything that you're hearing on the radio? What can we trust? In these days of biased news, how do we know what's true and what's not? What do we do when official statements conflict with what we see with our eyes and what we hear with our own ears? Right now it seems that the need for discernment has never been greater. And as Christians, we need to be able to sort truth from misinformation. That need has never been greater. And there's never been a time when we needed our eyes and our ears more open than we need them right now. Well, today we're going to be talking about two stories. The first is from Mark 7, verses 31 through 37, in which Jesus heals a man who was both deaf and mute. The second story is of Jesus healing a man who was blind found in Mark 8, through 26. 
Now, although these two stories are separated by several other events, several other episodes, taken together, these, these stories form what we might call a scripture sandwich, or what academics call an intercalation of scenes in the Bible. What that means is that these two stories parallel each other and they encapsulate the material in between like bread on the, end, on the top and bottom of a sandwich with the other stories being the meat in the middle. Now these two stories are full of parallels. They're both healing stories of Jesus and they both take place in Gentile territory and they both have to do with the issue of perception. Believing what we see, knowing what we know, and how. So we're going to begin by reading together this first story from Mark 7 and the 31st, uh, excuse me, Mark 7 and beginning in the 31st verse. And then I'll read the other in parallel to it during the course of the sermon. So let's turn, if you will, to Mark chapter 7, beginning in the 31st verse. In Mark 7, Mark writes this. Then Jesus returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, Jesus put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more Jesus charged them to tell no one, the more zealously they proclaimed. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. Oh Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Today, oh Lord, we ask that amidst the changing words of our generation, you would open our ears, you would open our eyes so that we may hear and read your unchanging word. In a season when we do not know whom to believe or what to trust, we ask that you would speak to us with clarity. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. Now, in these two stories that we're considering today, Jesus continues to extend his mission to the Gentiles. The mission that began in Tyre and Sidon in Lebanon has now taken a circuitous route back to another Gentile area known as the Decapolis or the Ten Cities. And in the stories of this week and last week, we see that Jesus was resetting the table of God's covenant family to include these outsiders, these non-Jews that we call Gentiles. That is, everybody else. Through his son, God the Father was expanding his covenant promises beyond his own chosen people of Israel to all 
of the nations of the earth. This is one of the most important themes in the whole New Testament. Now, what we see in these stories Last week of the Syrophoenician woman, and this week in the healing of a deaf man, and in the healing of a blind man, and in all these stories in between, what we're seeing is that before Jesus started talking about the mission to the Gentiles, he was doing it. This was not just talk for him, he was doing it. He was actually out on the mission field serving the people that God wanted him to reach. Now when you read... The miracle stories of the deaf man and the blind man that I'm about to, to share with you, when we read these things together, side by side, you can see some striking parallels. You've got the reference to that second story there in your bulletin, but let me make some of these parallels. First of all, they, sh they have a parallel in that they share, they're both about perception and communication. These two stories are both about perception and communication. First of all, story number one says, and they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. Second story, and they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. Both of these stories, both of these miracles have to do with perception. The first has to do with hearing, and the second has to do with seeing. Although we have five senses, hearing and seeing are the chief tools we have for gathering information from the world and from the people around us. These senses, seeing and hearing, are also the chief tools that we have to interact with one another, to communicate with one another. They are at the center of our ways of knowing and connecting and communicating with one another. And so these are two stories about perception and how we receive information from the world. But these stories are also about contact. Consider story number one again. Jesus put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. That's a lot of contact. Maybe a little too much for me. And then looking up to heaven, Jesus sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. Story number two. And when Jesus had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, Jesus asked him, do you see anything? And the man looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. The man opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. In both cases, there was physical contact. Now, unlike other healing stories, when Jesus just speaks healing from a distance, this story involves Contact. It involves direct touch. First, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears and spit and spoke, be opened. First, he touched him. And the first thing that this man heard was the voice of Jesus. In the second story, then Jesus spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him. And he gained partial vision. But then Jesus laid his hands on him again. And he opened his eyes and his, eye, and his sight was restored. 
and he saw everything clearly. And the first thing that he saw was Jesus. But we see in both of these incidents that touch is another critical way that we interact with one another. You know, when a person cannot see, it's often the sense of touch that allows a person to to see or to read through the use of something like Braille. So much can be communicated through human touch. We use it to to communicate affection. We use it to, to show trust. We, show it, we use it to show love. But we also know that human touch is a way that people demonstrate violence as well. But in every case, touch requires proximity. Touch requires proximity. That means that if you're going to touch somebody, you have to be close to them. If you're going to touch somebody, you need to be within arm's reach of them. Over the last few months, we've started to open up the church again. We're back to full person-to-person worship, full person-to-person Sunday school. We're back to full person-to-person meetings. You know, it seems like for so long we were doing everything by Zoom. Everything was by screen. And we just took it for granted how much we missed being together. And now that we're back together, we forget what it was like for those nine months, 12 months when we were watching everything on a screen. But you know what? The other day... I had a meeting, a Zoom meeting, a Presbyterian meeting from Houston. All of us were gathered on this screen, about 150 people in this Zoom meeting, and it was the worst. <laughs> I'd forgotten. I, you know, after, I mean, at first you got used to it, but now it's like having to go back after being back with everybody. It's just not the same. It's not the same as being hand-to-hand, eye-to-eye, face-to-face. I can't go back. <laughs> It's a great technology, but it's not the same as being together. The fact that Jesus touches these men is not just a function of physical contact. It's about his presence. It's about him being together with these men, hand to hand, person to person, eye to eye. And although Jesus sometimes healed people from a distance, just by the power of his word, most of the time, He was there with them, close enough to touch them. And what's important to note there is that Jesus was willing to touch others, was willing to touch people that others were not willing to touch. And touching these men, Jesus was not only healing them, he was saying to them, you matter. You've been dismissed by family and friends and community for too long, but you matter. You are loved and you are worth God's attention. You may not be able to hear, but God hears you. You may not be able to see, but God sees you. You matter. And he didn't do that from a distance. He said those things within arm's reach. The third parallel shared in these stories is the discretion of Jesus. Story number one, and taking him aside from the crowd, taking the deaf man aside from the crowd privately, Jesus charged him to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. 
Story number two. This time before Jesus healed the man, he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And he sent him home saying, do not even enter the village. Why was Jesus telling the first man who could now speak to be silent? Why was, why was Jesus hiding the second man to whom he'd given sight? Why was he hiding him from everybody else's view? Why wouldn't Jesus want everybody to know about this? Jesus had not only given him back his hearing, Jesus gave him the power to speak. And apparently, once this guy got the power to speak, he wouldn't be quiet. They couldn't make him stop talking. He had to tell people what Jesus had done. But why would Jesus command him not to tell? Why would Jesus hide the other man? Well, time and time again, Jesus told the people who witnessed his miracles to keep it quiet. But why was Jesus keeping his power a secret? He had just changed their lives. Why couldn't they tell the world? Why couldn't they go to the village and show everybody what Jesus had done? Well, this is a theme of Mark's gospel that we've discussed before. Academics call it the messianic secret. And the messianic secret goes like this. Jesus commanded them not to tell because he understands our human nature all too well. You see, the Lord knew how easily people follow power and beauty and wealth and fame. We will follow the bright lights of glory even to our own destruction like moths to a flame. And Jesus did not want to seduce people by his power but rather, he wanted to connect with them by his love. To be sure, the day would come when God the Father would highly exalt Jesus and give him the name that is above every other name so that every knee will bow, whether it's under the earth or over the earth or in the earth, and every tongue would confess that Jesus is Lord. But before that, people would see him suffer. Before that, people would see him betrayed and abandoned. Before that, people would see him die. And most importantly, before that, people would see him as obedient to God, even to the point of death. Before Jesus would show his true identity, the people had to see that though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God as something to be exploited, but humbled himself being, form, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, gave himself up to death, even death on the cross. At any point, if Jesus had wanted, Jesus could have enthralled, daddled, or intimidated the world into following him. Even the Gentiles, even the Romans, even the Pharisees, anyone, but that was not his purpose. Jesus wants us to know him correctly. For who he really is. And we cannot know Jesus correctly until we see him on the cross. We cannot hear Jesus correctly until we hear him say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Before we can know Jesus as the king who heals, as the king who conquers death, we have to know him as the one who suffered 
and died. He is not just the Son of God who conquers death. He is the Son of Man who surrenders to God's will. He's not just the person who changes our lives. He's the one who gave his life for us. And so this passage is not just about seeing and hearing. It's about seeing and hearing him correctly. We can't know the truth about God. We can't know the truth about the world. We can't know the truth about other people or even about ourselves until Jesus Christ opens our ears, opens our eyes, and we see him and hear him first. But in this story, Jesus shows us that the Gentiles who were once deaf, who were once blind and mute to the truth of God's covenant love could now hear. They could now see and they could now proclaim. So how does all of this relate to the issue of trust and what I was talking about at the beginning? How do we know whom we can trust and how we can be trustworthy ourselves? As I was reading through this story again this week, I thought about the trust crisis in our culture right now. And it led me to ask, how can we restore trust among ourselves? How can we restore trust with our allies? How can we restore trust in our country? How can we rebuild trust with one another? And how can we prove to others that we are worthy of their trust? Well, these men were both vulnerable and they had to trust Jesus. And he proved that he could be trusted. But Jesus not only healed these men of their problems, he also gave them a foundation of trust. How did Jesus build trust? He did it in three ways. First, he built trust through authentic compassion. When it comes to trust, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Most of the time we read about miracles in the Bible, most of the time when we read about these miracles, we see that the Lord is using them to draw attention to the reality of God and to his divine identity and his mission. But in these miracles, there's something different happening. In these miracles, we see that Jesus acted purely out of mercy for these men. He did not draw attention to himself or his identity or his mission But instead, he commanded them to be quiet. Jesus was not doing this for the sake of publicity or recognition or influence or even to draw attention to his mission and identity. He was doing it for one reason and one reason alone. He was doing it because the love of God overflowed from him. He didn't want recognition He just wanted to express the love that overflowed from his heart. You know, Ronald Reagan once said that it is amazing how much you can get done when it doesn't matter who gets the credit. I think that's true. Even though these men were Gentiles, even though they were not his people, even though they were outsiders, Jesus showed up for them. He risked the ridicule of his own people and he broke with the status quo just out of the love and mercy of his own heart. Second, Jesus built trust through direct contact. And he emphasized the importance of human connection. If you want people to trust you, you have to be willing to get down in the trenches with them. 
You have to be willing to be present with them, to walk with them in their lives, in their work, in their joy, and in their pain. And that's what Jesus did. The Word of God, says John, became flesh and dwelt among us. And more than that, he who had no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. And he bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might be dead to sin and alive to all that is good. You cannot get any closer than that. He took our place. He was in the trenches with us. Jesus did not try to help us from a safe distance. He did not try to prove any kind of over-the-horizon capability. He got down here in the mud and the blood and the mess and the stress of our lives to prove not only that he loves us, but that God understands us, that he understands our challenges, that he understands our pains, that he understands our joys, that he understands everything about us because he has been where we are. He gets it. And Jesus reestablished our created connection with the Father and with one another. And what he's telling us is that we can't share the truth and love of God from a, from a distance. Yes, there are times when technology is a useful tool. But ultimately it comes down to contact. And finally, he gave them clarity. If you want people to trust you, give them clarity. Speak plainly. Not like a pundit, not like a politician, not like a wordsmith. Speak plainly. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Do what you say that you're going to do. Be transparent. Do not obfuscate. Don't spin. Why do we not trust our leaders right now? Because of all of that. Jesus opened their eyes and opened their ears so that they would hear and see clearly. I think it's interesting that at first the blind man saw only fuzzy images, but then he saw clearly. It's a reminder that, that trust that faith is progressive. That trust is something that builds up over time. We don't see everything at once. We don't trust everything at once. But as we trust him more and more, he reveals more and more, and we see more than we did. Sometimes things get blurry. Sometimes things are blurry. But one day, says the Apostle Paul, we will see clearly. And what we see, as though through a mirror dimly now will one day come to see face to face. I want you to remember this, that Jesus was the first man that this deaf man heard. And Jesus was the first person that this blind man saw. How different the world must sound when the strongest voice you hear is the voice of Jesus. How different things must look when you clearly see Jesus sitting right in front of you. This passage is not just about seeing and hearing. It's about seeing and hearing and knowing correctly. 
We cannot know the truth about God, about the world, about other people, or even about ourselves until Jesus Christ opens our ears, opens our eyes, and shows us the truth. Behold, a king will reign in righteousness, and princes will rule in justice, and then the eyes of those who who see will not be closed, and the ears of those who hear will give attention. The heart of the hasty will understand and know, and the tongue of the stammerers will hasten to speak distinctly. Here's my question. How do you hear, how do you see, and how do you know the world? How do you hear, and how do you see, and how do you know other people? How do you hear, how do you see, how do you know yourself? How do you see, how do you hear, how do you know God? John Calvin began his major work, the Institutes of the Christian, of the Christian Religion, with this line. He said, all the wisdom that we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists of two things, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. We cannot know ourselves, we cannot know the world until we hear the voice of Jesus speaking strongly in our ears and we see him right in front of us. C.S. Lewis once said that to him, knowing Christ is like seeing the sun. Not only do I see it, but I see it, by, but by it I see everything else. We can change the word S-U-N to S-O-N. So that when we say that we see the sun, we can say that we not only see him, but by him we see everything else. Is the voice of Jesus the strongest voice you hear? Do you hear, or excuse me, do you see Jesus with you? Before you, in front of you, around you, every day or just when you're here in church. We need our eyes and our ears to be opened so that we will see the world, so that we will hear God's word, and we'll know the difference. If you want to know who you can believe, believe him. And then by him, you will see and hear everything else more clearly. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we pray today that you would open our ears, that you would open our eyes, that we might discern truth from misinformation, that you might give us clarity in the midst of spin, that you might give us transparency when too many things are hidden. And Lord, we ask that you would not only give us eyes to see and ears to hear, but but having heard and seen your truth, then, O God, we pray that you would free our tongues to speak, to speak the truth and love, that people might know your love for them. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, the Word made flesh. Amen.